All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you, each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And I should mention that the gold share picture is certainly looking a lot better as we start 2015. I also like to tell you each week that I'm also uh, the partner of Chen Lin, who publishes a newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? To avail yourself to both my newsletter as well as Chen's, go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, and from there you can uh, put your name on a waiting list to sign up for Chen. Uh, He does take new subscribers at the beginning of each calendar quarter. Uh, You can subscribe to my newsletter at any time at miningstocks.com. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. I want to also uh, thank you uh, for sending your questions and criticisms at what have you, all, any comments that you have about this show, to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at jtaylormedia. I want to thank uh, also our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Novo Resources, Dynacor Gold Mines, and Cornerstone Capital. Well, I've titled today's show, Will Gold Save Us from the Equity Market's Draws of Death? Dr. Robert McHugh and David Jensen return uh, as guests today's show. As a former bank portfolio manager, Robert McHugh, Uh, used a host of technical tools to assist in asset allocation, and he has continued using those same tools more and even more so, many more tools that he's added to his toolbox since those days. And he uh, was really out front with brilliant calls before the market crashes of 2000 and 2008-2009. What Robert thinks we are about to witness over the next few years is what he has called a cataclysmic nation-changing event. And for investors in stocks, the picture he paints is extremely frightening. Robert has identified a massive jaws of death formation, also known as a megaphone formation in the stock charts, that he believes is foretelling of a decline in stocks that will make the 1930s decline look like child's play. At the same time, Dr. McHugh's work is suggesting that gold and gold shares have likely bottomed and that they should perform exceptionally well in the months and years to come, Slow at first, he says, but then will uh, rise dramatically uh, down a couple, two, three, four years from now. Uh, 
Well, my discussion with Dr. McHugh was recorded on Wednesday, January 14th, and the focus was on Dr. McHugh's big-picture predictions for 2015. Since I spoke to Robert, some very significant geopolitical and economic events have taken place over the last few days, which, if anything, lend credibility to the kind of future events Dr. McHugh envisions. To help bring us up to date with some of the most significant events that have taken place since I spoke to Dr. McHugh last week, David Jensen will join me to talk about some of the recent events and the impact that they may have had on the precious metals markets. We do have to go uh, to commercial break now. We have a lot of ground to cover, so let's get right to it. The commercial break followed by Dr. Robert McHugh, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. Robert McHugh. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network novo resources corporation trading symbols nsrpf on the otcqx and nvo on the canadian securities exchange is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the hammersley basin of western australia novo's flagship asset its beaton's creek project has an ni 43101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton with 10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from newmont mining novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm glad to have with me once again Dr. Robert McHugh. Dr. McHugh is president and CEO of Main Line Investors, Inc. He founded it in 2003 to provide technical market forecasts for stock and precious metals markets, offering trading education and platinum trading services for subscribers interested in managing a speculative segment of their total portfolio to achieve above-average returns. And I would suggest uh, to those listeners out there that you take down the website to go to to avail yourself to some free information that's there as well as uh, sign up for Robert's service as I have done uh, and it, I'm, I must say that at least from my perspective it is very much worth every nickel that I've paid Robert that website is technicalindicatorindex.com technicalindicatorindex.com Dr. McHugh is, uh, in addition to his newsletter, has also written a book called The Coming Economic Ice Age, Five Critical Steps to Survive and Prosper. We have spoken to him about that in the past on this show. Before 2003, when he started his newsletter, he was the founder and chief financial officer of a regional bank in eastern Pennsylvania. Main Street Bank Corporation was the name of it. And uh, he was the president of Main Street Investment Corp., and prior to that, Dr. McHugh was Chief Financial Officer for National Penn Bancorp. 
and his daily newsletter, uh, which is what I'm talking about, what I subscribe to, the Technical Indicator Index is a must-read for everyone who watches the markets closely and desires to stay ahead of the herd at every market turn. And I must say that every market turn, Dr. McHugh gives you almost a daily missive, uh, and it's one of those can't-miss uh, newsletters that I look for in my inbox every day, and he provides a, a very, very thorough report, but also an executive summary for people that uh, might have difficulty in spending the time uh, that you certainly could spend going through this uh, very extensive letter. Welcome, Robert. It's really good to have you with me again. Thanks, Jay. It's always great to speak with you. Always good to talk to you because I know that uh, that you're a person of integrity and uh, one that seeks the truth, not necessarily uh, the things that you might want to believe, but uh, the truth is the truth, and uh, and it's not a wishy-washy thing with you. So that's one of the things that I appreciate very much about you. Before we get started with our discussion, I, I should tell my listeners uh, that this interview is being recorded on Wednesday, January 14th. So with the markets changing very rapidly these days, some of what we say could actually be out of date by the time this actually airs, uh, which is uh, next Tuesday, the 20th of January. So uh, just uh, for those of you listening to this uh, to this interview, I'd like you to keep that in mind. But of course, again, that's one of the reasons that I think that you uh, should really uh, sign up for Dr. McHugh's letter because uh, whatever happens between the time of this interview and next Tuesday, you can be sure that he will have commented on it. Uh, I would like to start out, Robert, uh, perhaps uh, talking a little bit about your uh, January 1st, 2015 missive that was sent out to your paid subscribers. It's, it's kind of a big picture forecast for the markets this year. You said that you believe there will be at least one stock market crash this year. How do you define a stock market crash? Uh, Jay, I measure that as a decline of 15% or greater. Um, the stock market crash that I expect to happen uh, later in 2013, I think, could be greater than 15%. I think it could be a big boy. Uh, whereas we could have a mini crash or two before then that could hit 15%, or maybe they'll just be sharp declines, corrections, in the 10% area. But uh, I see a series of trouble, troublesome uh, declines uh, over the next several years, and this is the year that I think we're going to really start seeing it uh, in full swing. What was 2008, 2009 then? Was that a warm-up? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, they call it the Great Recession. Uh, I think it's. Uh, we're still in the. Dep- it's, it's, it was the start of a Great Depression that we're still in, uh, for most people. Um, and uh, that was uh, strike two. Uh, strike one was in uh, January. I'm sorry, in uh, 2001, uh, with the 9/11 uh, event and mm-hmm. uh, the stock market uh, problems that occurred. From 2001 to 2003, uh, that was strike one. Uh, the the next one, uh, 2007 through um, you know really 2010, I, I guess 2011 was strike two, and that was worse than the, the first decade, uh, the first one of the decade. And then uh, I think this one's going to be uh, far greater than the last one, and uh, this is going to be strike three. Well, on strike three, meaning you're out, meaning there could be some very major changes uh, on the basis of what I read, probably political economic changes, the likes of which are hard for most folks to imagine. And we don't want to be alarmist. We don't necessarily, we certainly don't want to see 
the kind of problems that you see on the horizon come, but at the same time, we also, if they're going to come, we want to be av- we want to be aware of them and be prepared as best we can. So, you know, I'd like to ask you one of the you have a lot of colorful pictures, uh, not only literally colorful charts and things in your service, but also colorful words. One is a Hindenburg omen. Can you tell our listeners what a Hindenburg omen is and why it is something that you keep a, a very close eye on? Yes, uh, the Hindenburg Omen is a series of, uh, of conflicting an uh, uh, indicator uh, lineup. It's a convergence of indicators in an odd way that that tells us that the market is in a unhealthy condition that has been seen before. All but one of the uh, stock market crashes and major declines over the past thirty years. And that's as far as my data went. It, it, they probably, it probably goes even further than that. But uh, it's a condition in the market where we have a, uh, a battle going on between uh, bulls and bears that is uh, unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we've seen this about one out of every five times we see this uh, Hindenburg Omen set up, uh, we get a stock market crash, a crash for the ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, about 70% of the time we're going to get a, uh, we see a major decline afterwards, uh, 5 to 10%. So um, when I see these things, I get very, uh, very uh, cautious and concerned because it's pretty much impossible, or we haven't seen crashes if this isn't going on first. Mm-hmm. So if, if we don't have a Hindenburg moment on the clock, then we can be fairly, feel fairly safe about uh very, very low risk of any mm-hmm. kind of a, of a crash. But mm-hmm. when this condition is in, is in place, then we have to, you know, pay attention because it's kind of like if you were going to the, the doctor and he says, i, I got to recommend surgery, you got to have a one, of, one out of five chance you're going to die. Um, I don't think any of us would like those odds, even though yeah. it's one out of five. But the, 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 the damage, the danger is too great to take that chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and it's kind of a financial uh, death uh, when we have a, a crash. So um, we have, interestingly, four Hindenburg Omen observations. You need two to have an official Hindenburg Omen. We've had four so far in January 2015. We had wow. one yesterday. We had the one one the day before. We had one on January 5th and 6th. So we are on the clock now where we could have the potential for a stock market crash or major decline sometime over the next four months. Mm-hmm. These are the life cycle of the Hindenburg Omens, four months. But what's really interesting is we also have one on the clock from December. Uh, we had, a, 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 some, I forget what it was, eight or nine observation omen in, in mid-December, and so that's got a four-month shelf life. So we are now, we have concurrent, separate, independent Hindenburg Omens I don't think I've ever seen this before. Hmm. Uh, from December and January of this year, warning that the first third of this year, at least, uh, we are the stock market is in a very precarious position, and we've seen that in the last, you know, few weeks. I mean, it seems like every single day the stock market's going up or down, 300 points, 200 points. I mean, yesterday it was up 300 in the morning, and then the down uh, over 100 at one point in the day, and I mean it's a 400 point swing down. Mm-hmm. Today it's down 300 at one point. Uh, very, very volatile, and this is a sign of a very unhealthy market. This is just uh, the this is just the, the the shot above the bow. This is just a warning. This is it reminds me of 1987. 
Mm-hmm. If you study 1987's crash, there were a lot of hiccups mm-hmm. where you had this enormous 300, 200 point. In that case, it was a lot smaller because the market was lower. But let's say uh, 1%, 1.5% to 3% moves up, down, up, down, up, down, day after day for a few weeks. And then it crashed. It just yeah. threw up. Like yeah. somebody who's sick and you just haven't, you're gagging, you're gagging, you're gagging. I hate to use this reference, but, and then and then you really let loose. And and that's kind of what I, I fear I see in this market right now. Yeah. And and this ties in with a lot of uh, patterns and, and, and so on that we've been tracking that point to 2015 and, and the next few years afterwards as being a very, very dangerous, dangerous investment market for the stocks and the economy as a whole. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a manic depressive market, isn't it? And, and I think if one of the items, and you go into this in your newsletter, uh, one of the components, one of the major components of the Hindenburg Omen is uh, sort of the spread between the number of new highs and new lows. Is that, isn't that part of it? Yes, um, but the, uh, there has to be a, a minimum of uh, new highs and new lows have to both exceed uh, 2.2% of total issues traded in a day. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but that's a lot to have both new highs, new mm-hmm. 52-week highs, and the number of new 52-week lows, both over 2.2% on the same day is an extraordinary, bizarre event in the stock market. Mm-hmm. Now, that in itself does not create a Hindenburg and There have to be several other conditions. Sure. Um, but that's the primary one we watch for. That's the first uh, thing we look at. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and when all the conditions are in place, um, it tells you this market is sick. It's in trouble. It's unsafe. It's, it's at risk of, of, uh, of dropping hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something not right in it. And uh, we're, we're in this condition right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in your letter, the the January 1st letter, you talked about the likelihood, I think, during the last third of this year uh, as being the most likely time when we'll see a stock market crash. I'm wondering, you, you say we have these various Hindenburg omens that have occurred. Two questions. One is, is it more likely we'll have a crash if there are more Hindenburg omens? And secondly, how long do Hindenburg omens stay on the clock? They stay in the clock for about four months, so that means if I'm calling for a stock market crash later in this year, we'll probably have another Hindenburg omen later in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily. There was one time we've had a crash in the last three years without a Hindenburg omen. It was a very brief crash. It dropped 17% uh, over a, a couple of weeks. But, uh, you know, so it's not a guarantee if we don't have a Hindenburg omen, we could still have a crash. Uh, so... So it's about a lifetime of, of four uh, four months. What was the first part of your question again? Uh, the other one was: Is it more likely that if there's more than one, that it's that it's more likely to have a crash? Statistically, yeah, no, in the past. Actually, no. what's interesting is you just need two observations within the 30-day period. Uh, you can only have one observation, a maximum of one per day. So uh-huh. you have to have two days of this condition. But I've seen where we've had 17 observations in a month. And, oh. and we've had two observations in a month, and the stock market fell harder after two observations than it did 17. So yeah. we can't really get comfort that, oh, we haven't had 17, we're safe, we only had two, <laughs> or we only had four. When you see two, it's just as dangerous a condition as if we had 17. Another very colorful image uh, in, your, uh, in your book as well as in your newsletter, 
You talk about a decades-long jaws of death formation, also known as a megaphone formation to technical analysts. Uh, it really has you worried. Can you, can you talk about what this is, uh, the jaws of death formation, and why is it so important? Yeah, this is a jaws. This jaws of death pattern uh, is a megaphone top. Uh, it appears at major, major tops, and and inevitably, whenever we see one of these, uh, we have had a stock market uh, collapse and an economic collapse, a major recession or depression in our economy over the last 125 years, 115 wow. years, ever since wow. 1900. And uh, it, it was there before the. Uh, the, the stock market crash of 29, it was there before the crash of 87, it was there before the, the uh, crash of uh, 2001, the crash of 2008. It's, and here's the thing, those were small patterns. Those were patterns that took place over a few months to a year, year and a half. The one I'm watching has been underway since late 1980s, and it is massive. It is unbelievable. It is huge, and it is near. It is done. It is nearly complete. It has pointed to a finish this year in 2015. It is essentially over. I mean, could it take another month or two or three to fully develop right along the upper sloping pattern, patterns boundary line? Sure, but it's, it's for all intents and purposes. This 25-year pattern, 27-year pattern, is now complete. And that means that a major economic collapse and a major stock market crash is imminent. Um, by God's grace, will he give us an extra six to nine months before the, it really hits hard? I hope so. But we have got to get ready. The sign is in place. The warning is here. This pattern doesn't fail. I mean, this pattern's reliability is enormous. I wrote about it back in 2013 and 2014, said, you know, warning. And so people bought my book, they've had a year and a half of, of, of preparation warning. Well, time's marching on here, and we're yeah. running out of time. This, this is really an imminent, dangerous situation. You mentioned uh, a moment ago that there's a smaller, if I understood you correctly, there's a smaller jaws of death within this large, larger decades uh, jaws of death. Is that smaller one comparable to what we had at other times, the ones you're talking about? Uh, yeah, it kind of, excuse me, it kind of is. Um, what's interesting is the, the um, we had a jaws of death before the, the um, collapse in 2001. That's part of this larger one. We had another Jaws of Death back in 2008. That small one was part of this larger one. Mm -hmm. Now, I've just seen another tiny one that formed over the last, I call it tiny, the last six months uh, since June of 2014. Another one formed, and that's finishing up right now. Oh. Um, so, I mean, I'm talking about the next few weeks. So, um, the, the one that, the size of the one that's, started in June, we're talking seven months, as it was about, I mean, some of these jaws of death we saw over the last century that resulted in very, very strong declines were about the size of that one. That was that was more of a, a typical size jaws of death than what we've seen the last seven months. But this thing I'm looking at here that I, you know, we're talking about, it's two decades, almost three decades old now. Yeah, it's and that's... 
And that's why you think we're we're in for a, a very major event here, one that would, uh, I, I gather, one that would be more significant even than the 1930s. It is. It's, it's much bigger than the one in the 30s. This, this is, and, and if you look at Elliott Wave's cycle analysis, the wave analysis, it, I, can't, I don't have the time to, to, to go over it all, but let me just put it this way. There are different degrees of, uh, of wave movement, of stock price movements, of, of cycles of, uh, of uh, prosperity and decline. We are wrapping up a three-century uh, bull market in, 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 our, in the world economy and the stock markets that goes back to the 1600s. That's what this brought jaws of death, this, this 27, 28-year-old pattern is, is identifying is the top and conclusion of a multi-century bull market mm-hmm. for world economies. Yeah. And, and in LEA theory, I have it's a grand super cycle wave three top. Mm-hmm. But the problem is what follows a grand super cycle wave three top is a grand super cycle wave for decline. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about is imminent. It's it's coming. It's yeah. about to start. Um so that's where this, this danger uh is, is is this is why I'm kind of passionate yeah. here. It's really yeah. it's really right here. With so yeah. many different studies, independent technolo- technical indicators, patterns. I mean they have nothing to do with each other and they're all saying the same thing. It's crazy. Yeah, indeed, and I might just mention to our listeners that uh, your warnings are very much akin to those of Robert Prechter, who's been on this show a couple of years back, and I know, uh, I believe he feels much the same way and sees much of the same thing that you're talking about. Another indicator you talked about, um, you also mentioned there is, quote, a second convincing piece of evidence is a cycle that is rare and extremely uh, correlates with the stock market declines and economic downturns. You say it points to a powerful economic and market collapse around September 14th of this year. Uh, Can you tell our listeners what that rare pattern that you're talking about that correlates uh, so well? Can you pinpoint uh, a date? And how can you pinpoint a date so specifically uh, as September 14th? It's a cycle pattern that um, was present in 2001. It was present in 2008. It's a roughly seven-year pattern. If you go back starting in 2008, and just go back every seven years and look uh-huh. what happened, it's incredible how within a year or two of that seven-year date, uh, you see an economic recession or crash that can almost be marked all the way back to the, to the, to the beginning of the 1900s. Yeah. Um, but it's more than that. There's a reason for it. Um, I, I know it's going to sound a little strange, but it has something to do with the uh, the uh, lunar alignments and uh-huh. the uh, and the uh, and the solar alignments, and a lot of it has to tie in with the uh, the, the Hebrew calendar, the Jewish calendar um, that God set up uh, back in Genesis one eight, where He told us that He's put the, one of the purposes of His of His uh, of His uh, creating the sun and the moon and the stars. Isn't just for light, but was for signs where he communicates to us uh, events that revolve around the, the Jewish nation and the, and the Hebrew uh, people mm-hmm. uh, that he has set in place in his uh, his uh, divine calendar. He has an appointment calendar. <laughs> he communicates these things. Uh-huh. His, his events that he's setting up. Uh, you know, 
and, and so uh, some people know it as the Shemitah year, um, and it's a stra- it's, it's just extraordinary. And uh, I've taken this very seriously, and uh, and I mentioned it in this uh, this write up because uh, we're scheduled for another event uh, in this coming September. Um, and uh, if you looked at 2001 and 2008 events, they also happened in Shemitah years in uh, what we have as our month of September, uh, mm-hmm. which in the Jewish calendar is, uh, is, a, uh, is a different main month, but um, ties in with uh, uh, the uh, feast uh, and the uh, fall feast of the, uh, of the uh, Jewish faith. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this has to be taken seriously uh, because its track record is amazing. Well, that's uh, that's fascinating stuff, Robert, and, and that and much more is what people get uh, from your newsletter. We've got another uh, five minutes or so, and we haven't even begun to talk about gold and silver, which your letter also focuses on to a very great extent. I'd say after the uh, general equity markets, gold and silver is what you probably focus on most. But you seem to be a bit more bullish on gold and silver than you are the equity markets. Why so? If the rest of the markets are tanking, why should gold and silver run counter to the equity markets? Because I think that gold and silver are going to be the future currency of mankind uh, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, as economics, uh, economic, uh, economies collapse, as uh, uh, you know, currencies collapse, um, you take Russia, what just happened with Russia. I mean, the ruble's collapsing, and it's because of oil, because they're so dependent upon their oil economy. You think they're just going to sit back and, and take this? No. no. They're, they're, at some point, they're going to have to prop up their currency, mm-hmm. and guess what with? Yeah. Gold. Well, they've Silver. been buying. I mean, what else are they going to prop it up with? They've been buying and importing, and, and of course, they have a lot of their own gold production. Uh, the reports I get is that both Russia and China, China even more so, have been importing and building up their stockpile of gold both of those countries, and then they're also forming alliances between the two of them to trade more uh, with each other as they fear uh, the aggression of the United States. At least that's from their point of view. So I think I, I think I am in total agreement. I think it's very interesting to watch what's going on. And they are certainly not sitting back, and they've not been quiet uh, necessarily about doing exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be self-defense. When this, when this whole world economy blows up, which it's coming... Uh, based upon all the other, you know, indicators and so on that we've been watching, and just empirical evidence and common sense and, and fundamental economics, you just see it. Um, I mean, except for the five trillion that we just went to New York City and four or five QE programs, three three QE programs, depending on how you want to count them. Uh, five trillion went to New York City. It didn't go anywhere else. Yeah. So everything around the New York City metropolitan area, from Boston perhaps down to. So Washington, D.C., I mean, that's a third of the U.S. population. Yeah, they're doing fine. They're doing great. Real estate's going well. The price of real short properties are through the roof. But the rest of the country, the middle class is being wiped out, uh, and the rest of the world is in trouble. This world economy is about to plunge, and um, and currencies are going to follow down. Paper currencies are not going to hold up, and that's just gold at some point. It's going to explode higher because it's all they're going to have left to turn to uh, to back their currencies to keep the thing going. You know, Robert, one of the things I've observed with David Jensen, who's on my show on a regular basis, is that from about the middle of uh, December or so, 
uh, gold has actually outperformed the dollar, even as the dollar has been outperforming other currencies. And David's uh, suggestion is that there may be at the margin people that are starting to think exactly what you're what you're talking about. Um, so do you think we've seen the bottoms in, in gold and silver? The chances are, are what, 50-50 or better than that? I think they're better than that. Uh, I have a price pattern that says uh, that, that allows for gold's correction from September 2011 to be complete. Uh, I have it as a wave two down. Uh, you know, prices move in five waves. One, waves one, three, and five are up, and waves two and four are down when you're in a bull market and vice versa if you're in a bear market. Well, I think the last three, four years decline in gold was a way two down, which was correcting a portion of uh, the rally in gold from, uh, you know, way back in the, in the 2000, uh, 2000 period. Yep. So we're ready for wave three up now. And I, I, can, I can look at a pattern, use an Elliott wave analysis and say, yeah, that looks good. That looks complete. We're ready for wave three. And then you look at the coming imminent uh, economic collapse in the, in the stock market, and, and gold does pretty well when uh, when stocks crash. Uh, there's an inverse relationship. Uh, several several crashes or, or major declines we've had over the last several decades. Gold goes up, and uh, and uh, I think that gold is going to have to be the safe haven, one of the major safe havens, and uh, it will it will prosper as uh, as the rest of things start start going down. You know, uh, gold has gone up, oil has gone down tremendously, which is very bullish for the mining companies. All of a sudden, uh, the uh, the amount of energy costs that mines have to... Uh uh, to to imp- have to suffer through has decreased very dramatically relative to the price of gold, and uh, you know I think was it's gone from something like twelve barrels an ounce of gold would buy to twenty four barrels an ounce of gold would buy, and we saw during uh, after two thousand two thousand eight two thousand nine a dramatic increase in the real price of gold. So whatever the nominal price goes, as a as a person who looks at gold mining companies, I'm very concerned and very uh, positive actually about what I see in the real price of gold for the fundamentals of mining companies. Uh, what, what, is, uh, what do your technicals say about the mining shares, gold and silver mining same shares? Same thing as gold, uh, up, up, up. Uh, we're ready to go. We're ready to fly. Will there be corrections? Sure. We'll, you know, I also think this bull market in gold and mining could start out slow because there's just not enough trust. There's been so much beaten down psychology over the last four years. People are a little hesitant. You know, it's going to be the uh, pros that get in first, but uh, there'll be a general following once they people get convinced that the bull market's back. And so it'll, it'll be starting out slow on the upside, and then it's going to accelerate. Um, and the other thing that's going to happen, too, is, and that's a great point you just made about mining stocks for the price of oil. That's a tremendous point. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the other point here is I think that the, the, the response of the central bankers all around the world when the economic collapse and stock markets collapse occurs later this year and, and so on, they're just going to print more money. Right. And the more money they print, it's just going to feed the value of mining stocks and gold. So there's an awful lot of forces at work here, and you just brought up a great one about the cost of oil. Yeah, let me ask you... forces at work. Yeah, let me ask you, what. Uh, so what are your technicals saying about oil? <laughs> That's a great question. Let's go with that. Uh, turn my analysis here. Okay, this one's kind of crazy. Um, I do see it going down a little bit further. There's a couple of different possible patterns in the short run. 
could be we're doing a triangle, large triangle pattern, and uh, Oil has um, some work to do on finishing that. Um, I think that uh, Oil um, is close to bottoming. You know, does it go down to 40? Maybe. Um, that would be okay. That would be part of a, of a, a wave four down. But I believe Oil is in a, in a bull market, and I believe that uh, Oil, if it's doing a, a triangle pattern, it's going from about 40 to 95 over the next year or two, and then uh, it will drop down to about 70 over the next year or so to finish the triangle, and then I think it's going to 200. Wow. Or if the bottom is at 40 here, and it's not a triangle, but it's just an ABC way four, then we're going to 200 sooner than I think. Um, and one of the main reasons I think we're going to 200 is because I think there's going to be a war. Mm. I think there's going to be a major war in the, in the world, that, and, the, and that's going to be the result of economic strife and conflict and struggle from the coming economic collapse. I mean, if you go back through history, every single time we have economic collapse, the result, the consequence, unintended or not, is war. Yeah. And you can see, I mean, I brought up the example of Russia. They, are su- they have such a highly motivated situation right now where their economy is such, in such dire collapse that they, they may... They have an incentive anyway, I don't know if they'll do it or not, but they have an incentive to go down and take over oil-producing nations just so they can control price, Mm -hmm. just so they can get back in control of the price of oil. And the thing is, if we have a war, oil is going to be needed to feed the trucks, to feed the uh, machination, the industrial complex Mm -hmm. of of war generation, of of, of weapons production. And um, so I fear fear a great world war coming. Oh. I'm sorry to hear and that. I, that, that I am sorry to hear it too, but um, I think oil's oil's uh, headed much much higher based on the patterns and based on the fundamentals of uh, what war would bring. Yeah, well, we're just uh, just about out of time here, but I know that you're you're positive on U.S. Treasuries. Uh, dare I say, also the U.S. dollar? Then, as we move into 2015, what's your outlook for both? I'm, I'm positive on treasuries uh, because I think it's going to be another safe haven like gold. Uh, right now we have the strongest military on earth, I think. I don't know what's happened over the last six years with the new administration. Uh, scaling back our military, you know, uh, it used to be the strongest military in the world. I hope we still are. So I think that's, that bodes well for, the, for, the, for treasuries because um, the nation that has the strongest military, dollars will f- flow into that. You could say money could flow into it. You could say that same about the dollar, but here's my risk with dollar. My charts are telling me that the dollar eventually is going to start dropping really hard, and I think it's going to be because the response to an economic collapse is to print more dollars, too many dollars, and that the forces of uh, supply and demand will drive the, the value of, of, of the dollar down. Now, relative to other currencies, the dollar may stay may hold up. But relative to the price of gold, it's going to drop through the roof or drop no. to the floor. And relative to gold, um, gold's going to rise. The dollar's going to decline. So it depends on how you look at it, you know. Uh, but uh, I don't, I don't have a high. Uh, and here's the thing: if they print a lot of dollars, as we saw with the five trillion QE programs, this is one there, you get hyperinflation. I mean, the middle class is getting squeezed because of all the inflation and necessities. Yeah. Um, the the quiet un, unreported you know inflation and and you know go buy tires for your car it now costs you a thousand dollars for four tires yeah you know go to the the doctor bills the medical bills 
the, just food. I mean, go to the grocery store. You come out of there with a three hundred dollar bill for a, for a few bags of groceries. It's insane the cost of living. And and you know the the CPI numbers are just lies. They're just bullcrap. Yeah, they really um, are. There, there's no question about it. If you're an average person, you understand that. I think some of the people that I rub shoulders with here in New York that are certainly not average, uh, that are very wealthy, they don't they don't feel the pinch. But uh, those of us who have to pay for uh, things that average people have to pay for, it is really uh, clearly uh, the middle class is getting pinched, which leads me to real estate. Unfortunately, we're out of time, Robert, as I look at it. But I would just like to tell my listeners that uh, Dr. McHugh wrote a splendid uh, report on real estate on the housing market. And keep in mind that Dr. McHugh was a banker himself, certainly does have a lot of knowledge of, uh, of the markets, the real estate markets, the mortgage markets, and so forth. And uh, the, uh, the destruction of capital, as David Stockman has pointed out on this show, how the, the U- policymakers are really destroying capitalism by destroying and, and uh, taking away the price mechanism, price discovery in the capital markets by manipulating the interest rates. So it all goes together, but I would just say to our listeners, since we don't have time to really talk on the, uh, to touch on this today, uh, sign up for Dr. McHugh's newsletter, and I, I'm sure, Robert, that you would send along the January, or that once they're subscribers, they can go into the archives and read your January 1st missive, which I think is, is just excellent, and that covers the real estate market. Uh, am I right about that? Yes, Jenny, you are. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, it is an interesting piece, uh, as you said, and I, I just think I'll quickly say Dodd-Frank killed the real estate market. It's a socialism uh, piece of legislation, and that's why we have yeah. the problems we have today. Well, yeah, they, I mean, this administration doesn't want to have people earn anything. They want to give it to everybody, I suppose, so that the government can control everybody. Now they're on to giving away uh, college educations, financing that, and everything else. Where does the money come from, Robert? Where, how long can the parasites continue to eat away at the body, uh, at, at the economic system that produces wealth and expect to still have wealth? I don't know. It beats me. I don't understand it. I guess we can talk about that another day because, unfortunately, we're out of time. I want to thank you very much uh, for passing along your wisdom to our listeners, and I would really, once again, encourage people, technicalindicatorindex.com. Go there, learn what Robert has to offer, and sign up for his letter. Very reasonably priced letter, and those of you who might want to take his, uh, his, uh, his information and use it to make money with, he also has... Uh, a program that will allow you to do that more expensive one but very much I'm sure very much worth it so thanks again Robert for being with us today thank you Jay it's always my pleasure I always enjoy uh, speaking with you always enjoy having you on the show and we'll have to do it more often thank you very much well folks don't go away we do have to go to commercial break but when we come back I'm going to be talking to David Jensen who will give us an update on the fundamentals of the gold markets and how manipulation is affecting not only the gold and silver markets but virtually all the capital markets as well so don't go away we'll be right back with David Jensen When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Cornerstone Capital Resources is a prospect generator focused on joint venturing its highly prospective gold, silver, and copper projects in Ecuador and Chile. At its Cascabel Joint Venture in Ecuador, funded by partner Sol Gold PLC, hole five of an ongoing drilling program intersected over 1,300 meters, grading over six-tenths of a percent copper and over half a gram per ton gold. Cornerstone retains a 15% interest financed through to completion of a bankable feasibility study. Symbol CGP on the TS. 
CSXV and CTNXF on the OTC. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me David Jensen. We're sitting here in Vancouver, British Columbia today. Uh, just uh, finished attending a mining show, a gold mining show. Uh, and so I'm um, really pleased to have David with me again. Thanks for joining me, David. My pleasure, Jay. Good morning. Uh, it's uh, really, uh, really good to talk to you. I, I wanted to get some of your uh, ideas on what Dr. McHugh just talked about. Sure. You know, he's very concerned uh, based on technical. He's a technical analyst. Uh, he looks at fundamentals, but first and foremost, technicals, and his jaws of death and also uh, something he calls the Hindenburg Omen mm-hmm. convinces him that there's a very high probability, perhaps soon, but by the end of this year, of a stock market crash. And by that, he means a 15% decrease in the equity market prices, which I think is, is not that outstanding, but at least a 15% decrease. What do you think? Uh, as a fundamental analyst, uh, David, how do you view the markets? And do you think that McHugh is crazy? No, I think we are set up for a, a very uh, strong um, start, stock market decline um, because the, the stock market rise over the last uh, several years of QE, of quantitative easing from the Fed, was really driven not by economic fundamentals, but uh, uh, by the banks who were taking um, the QE, which they received, the quantitative easing, um, more than $2.5 trillion uh, on the Fed's balance sheet as excess reserves as a consequence of that. And they were using this um, this, this uh, uh, capital, which was being held as excess reserves, as margin uh, collateral for margin debt with which they were using, uh, which, with which they were juicing the markets. So the markets were rising not based on economic recovery, but uh, based on uh, stimulus to the stock market uh, through the use of margin accounts by the by the major uh, the banks that were playing in the market. Yeah. Also, uh, you know, one of the big takeaways from Dr. McHugh that we just heard, he also is, if he's bearish on the equity markets, he's almost just as bullish on gold and silver. But he sort of thinks that maybe it's going to take a little while uh, because, you know, he, he sees all this psychological damage on the way down. It's been a very tough three, four years for gold bulls, that's for sure. Yeah, I, can, yeah. I can attest to that. So his idea is he's quite sure that we're heading, that we bottomed out, probably almost certainly have bottomed out, and that we're heading 
into a new uh, leg up in the bull market, but he thinks we're going to get off to a slow start. What are, what are your thoughts, David? Well, looking at the chart, if you, if you look strictly at the chart, uh, I would I would agree with him that you know these things take a long time to recover from. Um, but when we look at the fundamentals of the gold and silver market, uh, the analysis that we've done the last couple of weeks, uh, looking at the LBMA, I don't believe the gold or the silver is there to back those positions, and I believe that uh, there's a global movement afoot by central banks uh, and investors to withdraw gold from the system because they can see the problems with these markets. So uh, London is illiquid, and I, I believe that we're at some point going to see a default event uh, by one or more uh, major players in the LBMA, and I think that's going to set off a, a enormously rapid move in, in the price of gold and silver, um, uh, akin perhaps to the uh, the movement in the in the Swiss franc, which we saw go very very quickly to a much stronger level once the the SNB made its announcement last week. Yeah, because when things are based on uh, when they're not based on fundamentals, but they're based on some political maneuvering or some laws that were that were passed and not based on economic uh, fundamentals and things can change very rapidly and I think it's a psychological uh, change that uh, certainly uh, could could propel things very very rapidly and nobody knows for sure how that's going to work out uh, you know David Jensen is with me we do a, a podcast every Wednesday it's usually uh, posted on at Jay Taylor Media by uh, Thursday if not earlier than that and and David comes in with uh, some very very astute uh, observations of the markets. And, and David, you just come up with some things again today that you th- would like to share with our listeners. Uh, would you yeah. pass those along? Sure, Jay. Just uh, uh, four quick points here. Is noting that uh, gold and silver continue to run strongly with the U.S. dollar index running strongly itself, indicating that gold and silver are outperforming um, all other major currencies. Uh, noting today that the second point is that Mervyn King, the former governor of the Bank of England, uh, said that QE doesn't work. And the comment in the article was, it's funny how these Fed chiefs uh, get honest after they're uh, you know, out of the central banks, uh, out of the stewardship positions. And when they're in there, they're just uh, doing the same thing, just juice, juice, juice. Um, a third point, which was uh, curious, is that uh, the Fed's Bullard, um, who said that they would extend, uh, he thought they should extend QE uh, in October and turn the markets around from a strong decline, now says he wants to get going with a rate hike and they need to raise rates uh, 4%. I, I really see that as a, as a move to battle uh, the gold price rising because the, of the negative uh, real rate of interest. Uh, I think it's probably uh, north of 5%, but by the, the Fed's numbers, it's probably the order of a couple of percent. And I think he's trying to signal that they're going to move to positive interest rates to try to support dollar, um, the dollar and, and the bond market. So I, it's it's really uh, you know talking down gold and talking down silver. That's what these uh, you know there's a lot of talk. Um, uh, the, I, I've seen people call the FOMC the the Federal Open Mouth Committee, <laughs> and uh, so we see Bullard back at it again using that tool. Um, and then the fourth note here is uh, Jim, Rickard has come, Jim Rickards has come out and said that gold price suppression is for China um, to allow China to take a position in the world uh, uh, gold market before we uh, go to a new gold uh, uh, currency. So it's really for China that we're doing this. It's China's fault. And, uh, you know, I, I don't buy that. It's been more than a couple of decades of gold suppression and interest rate suppression. And we have uh, colossal global bubbles that have been blown in the last uh, 20 plus years. And that certainly wasn't for China. Um, so, it, 
I, I just don't get this talk, um, and, and really it looks like there's finger-pointing, you know, blaming the Chinese now for this uh, gold su- su- uh, price suppression scheme, which I think is not a fact at all. So he is, uh, he's suggesting that, uh, that, we are su- that we are suppressing the price of gold so China can get their gold before we realign right. the monetary system, right. the global monetary system? Essentially to, essentially to drive interest out of the market to make the, the bullion available at a, at a right. decent fair price and that there, there's a bullion available for China. So. Well, I'm, I'm wondering how much gold China has. Of course, nobody knows for sure. But, uh, you know, there are certainly some reports that we've heard and you've talked about, David, on mm-hmm. our podcast and on this show from time to time from Coos Johnson and others that China has been pulling in a huge amount of gold. Yeah. Well, and we wonder where it's all coming from, if it's true, Yeah, uh, because there just doesn't seem to be that much gold around the world uh, mm-hmm. to accommodate that sort of those numbers that we're seeing. And, the, I mean, there is some good reason, uh, David, we've got a couple of more minutes left. Uh, perhaps you can talk about this, but there is some good reason to believe through the Shanghai Exchange change that there's actually physical metal that is entering China, right? Yeah, I mean, Kuz's work shows uh, the last couple of years uh, more than 1,500 tons of visible flows into China, um, and the estimate is more than 15,000 tons to date has gone into China, but that excludes um, the Chinese uh, federal government uh, purchases, which haven't been released, I think, for four or five years. So uh, the chances are that China has an enormous gold position. This is why we have to let the price rise before we deplete the coffers of the West and prevent ourselves from functioning in a, in a going forward a, a global gold currency or, or a gold monetary system, which is a, a sound money system as opposed to the, to the current uh, digital uh, virtual money system that we use. Yeah, and as we were saying earlier, uh, you know, in terms of the markets can move very, very rapidly when they're not based on fundamentals and when the psychology takes over. And that's why I would just like to suggest to our listeners that it's important that you Secure some gold and silver in your own possession. Don't buy the ETFs. Buy the gold and silver, the physical. Put it away in some safe place. Uh, because, uh, you know, as one, one person said, when the masses decide that they, uh, when they give up on paper and they want to own gold, it will be like Niagara Falls going through a garden hose. There just will not, will not be the capability of accommodating all the demand. And the price of gold and silver could rise very, very rapidly, unlike Dr. McHugh is suggesting a nice orderly rise, which I would much rather see, honestly. But uh, you know, this is uh, th- these are markets that are unstable because the politicians have stepped in and have not allowed the markets to adjust on a regular basis. Uh, David, we might have another minute or so. Anything, any uh, other ideas that you'd like to pass along? I should tell our listeners that David and I, again, we we have a, a podcast weekly. We call it a weekly look at the gold fundamentals with David Jensen. And next week we'll be doing this again. So uh, I hope all of you will tune in to, to hear what David has to say because he has a lot of great insights into what is really taking place in the physical markets as opposed to the paper markets. Very important to understand this stuff, but is there anything else you'd like to add, David? Well, I I guess in in recapping everything is that the the markets are natural systems, and when you manipulate natural systems, uh, these manipulations tend to fail according to what's called criticality theory, and you can sum it up by just saying that uh, they they fail in a binary fashion. They go from a a 1 to a 0 or a 0 to a 1. And so that's why I think there's this potential here for a repricing move um, as the manipulation uh, comes undone by the uh, illiquidity of the physical uh, London bullion market. 
um, which I, I believe is is a real artifact, and, and we will know more with time as we observe uh, the market going forward. You know, and I would just like to close off uh, by saying that uh, having been up here in Vancouver and visiting a number of uh, gold and silver mining companies, I think that I, I have never been more excited about the prospects of making a lot of money in the mining industry. I, I would like to also, though, suggest that you first buy gold and silver before you put the next money into the mining shares. But if you, uh, if your portfolio allows you to, I think there there could be some substantial rises uh, in the gold and silver markets. And Dave and I were just looking at the charts of a few of these companies, and they seem to be breaking through some of their critical. Uh, long-term moving averages. So I think we're we're at the cusp uh, potentially of something uh, fairly major and some really great opportunities uh, on the upside. And I think you agree with that, David. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, the essential to hold the, the metal first is your core position, and then uh, you can leverage up uh, leverage up with uh, with equities as you wish. Yeah. Well, that's about all the time we have for this week. I want to thank each of you for listening. Uh, I want to thank uh, Tacey Trump, my producer, and Matt Widener, my engineer, for making the show logistically possible. I want to thank our sponsors for making it economically viable. And I want to thank each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Novo Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek Project, has an NI43101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton. With $10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at Dynacor Gold. 